chapter six, if you will, this morning, we're gonna I'm gonna get, uh, we're gonna wrap up Satan's strategies this morning. Uh, this is lesson number ten, and it's really the ultimate attack here in real time. Uh, and and really, this was geared for last week being Thanksgiving, but it's really we can do it any time. We've been looking at the attack of the adversary in real time here and his strategies and doing it. And we went down through Colossians 2, and again, not in a lot of the doctrinal detail that's in there, but just so that you get the, um, you get the feel for how he does it. He uses enticing words. He uses philosophy. He uses human viewpoint, traditions of men. He uses the rudiments of the world, how the world functions. He uses different tactics that way. He will then come in and use the law. He'll be scriptural, but not dispensational. He'll then come in and cause you to think about uh, your experience and the voluntary humility, intruding into those things which we have, the worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen. And you begin to get the extra biblical information, and you begin to, he begins to talk to you about and enticing you with men. That's who he uses, is men. And he uses religion to make your experience be the way that you validate truth. Rather than using the truth to validate your experience, he uses you, he says, for you and I to use your experience to validate it. And, and we looked at all of that. And the answer to all of that is to, to live in the function as who you are in Christ. That's it. Every time in Colossians 2, when he would say, hey, Beware. Well, look at Colossians 2. You're <clears throat> me telling you. You can look at it. Colossians 2, verse 4, he says, Beware, uh, and this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. How do you combat that? You Verse 7, you're rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Enticing words, how do I combat that? I combat that with words to profit profitable words that's 2 Timothy 2 verse 14, 15, 16, 7 I come in here, I use the word of God rightly divided, verse 8 beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ how do I combat that? I get after Christ, verse 9 for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and ye are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power. That's how I do that. Verse four, uh, verse 16, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of a new moon or of the Sabbath days. How do I, how do I combat the, the, the attack of, uh, of Israel's program of being scriptural but not dispensational? Well, I go back up to verse 14 and 15 and understand what has he done with that program. He's blotted out the handwriting of ordinances. He's nailed it to the cross. That's where we're at. Verse 18, let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body uh, by joints and bands, having nourishment, ministered and knit together, increased with the increase of God. Well, how do I... How do I handle that? Again, who am I in Christ? Get right back into that study and remembering of who I am in Christ. The issue at Colossae, by the way, the bad doctrine that was at Colossae is this stuff right here. They're not holding the head. We're to hold the head. He's our head. 
We're to take him and make him. That's why the end of verse 8, not after Christ. He's everything. He's our life. He's our center. He's our all in all. And if you're not in that mindset, the adversary will get you and will begin to pull you away. And it won't be a big pull. It is a gradual thing. It's a subtle thing. I know men who've left the ministry and left the message, and it's subtle things that have drawn them away. I know people that do it, and I just look at it, and it just breaks your heart. Why? Because it's not a big thing. It's just a subtle little thing. So this morning, what I want to look at is the ultimate attack against you and I. And it's that issue, you can go back to Luke 6 now, it's that issue of a thankful heart. And it's the issue of thanksgiving. In Scripture, in, in Paul's 27 times you read the word thank. 73 times thanks. Three times thanked, E-D. Three times thankful. One time thankfulness. 28 times thanksgiving. Two times unthankful. Not thankful. You think about being unthankful, not making any acknowledgement for goods received. That's what unthankful means in the dictionary. Being ungrateful. Look at Luke 6. Somebody's outside? Yeah, they're moving. Luke 6. Look at verse 35. I just want you to, if I heard them, then they're loud, aren't they? Okay. I don't know who they are. So Luke 6, 35. Think about this issue of being unthankful because it's a vitally important issue here because it's how the adversary ultimately comes after you. 6.35. But love ye your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great and ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the, what? Unthankful and to the evil. Notice there is a connection between being unthankful and evil. It's the, see, that there's a connection there. There's a bridge that's going to be there. Now, we just jumped in here with the Beatitudes and everything, and I'm not looking for the doctrine, but just notice what's transpiring here. There's an issue here of unthankful and to the evil. Come over with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and watch Paul do it. So when we think about unthankfulness, un- being ungrateful and having a thankful heart and having thanksgiving, look at 2 Timothy 3 verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, what? Unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such, 
turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Look, folks, being unthankful, think about that. What would we call all of this that we just read? We would call it evil. We would call it not good. <laughs> okay? We would, when, so when you think about an unthankful heart, the passage that ought to come to your mind is Romans 1. So go to Romans 1. Because when you think about, I, I think about that ever learning and not able to come. These are people who are scriptural. They're not dispensational though. They know the scripture. Actually, that 2 Timothy 3 is talking about people who have left Paul and have moved back under Israel's program, whether it's in the earthly ministry of Christ or whether it's in the book of the Hebrews through Revelation in the, in the future stuff, in the fulfilled prophecy out in the book of Revelation. And you know what Paul says? You know what they are? They're unthankful. I, look, I read that list in 2 Timothy, and it just is, that's why down in 2 Timothy 3 down there, it talks about the man is going to wax worse and worse, being dece deceiving and being deceived. What's happening here? There's all of that. Look at Romans 1. Romans 1, verse 19. Because that, verse 18, sorry, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. That's what we're talking about. That's who we're talking about. We're talking about people who know the truth. And what, yet what do they do? They hold it in unrighteousness. They don't hold to the truth. They're scriptural. They're not dispensational. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even by the thing, uh, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And he's going to begin to talk about the unrighteous, the heathen. Okay, that's who we're talking about here. Man at his basis sort here. He's not talking about a believer. We'll get to them in a minute. He's talking about unbeliever. When you deal with the unsaved world, here's where they're coming from. Verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were what? Thankful. These are evil people. They're not thankful. Now, what are they not thankful for here? Creation. They've got this warped idea about who God is. And yet, what did he just do in creation? He just made manifest the eternal power of his Godhead. He just put on display that there is a God. What does Psalm say? A fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They're unthankful, though. I want you to I catch that issue about being not thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man to birds and the four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies before between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. 
verse 27, and likewise also men leaving the natural use of the women burned in their lust, verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, down to verse 32, and who knowing the judgment, look at that, who know the judgment of God, what do the heathen know? They know they're going to stand in judgment of God. So what did they do? They've rigged the system to get around the Creator. Look at the list. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, Inventors of evil things, disobedience to parents, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affections, implacable, unmerciful. Wow, that's evil, isn't it? And you know where it started? They knew God. Now, in historical count where this is, this is Genesis 10 and 11 with the Tower of Babel. But it, it started with them knowing God and not being thankful and look at what it led into all of this evil verse 32 who knowing the judgment of god that they which commit such things are worthy of death not only do the same but have pleasure in them that do them all the evil comes from a not a lack of knowing god it comes from a lack of thankfulness so we need to be careful because the only thing that is different between the believer and the unbeliever is going to be this issue of thankfulness and thanksgiving. Now, obviously, the believer's in Christ. I, okay, I got that, and the unbeliever's not, okay? All right? So give me that pass for a moment. But when you think about this issue, and you think about that thankful heart, come over to Ephesians 1. We ought to be thankful. We ought to have a heart of gratitude. And the thankful heart is what we ought to maintain because it leads us to joy and contentment. And a heart of gratitude is a critical component in the believer's life. And it starts at Calvary. Look at Ephesians 1. Look at verse 13. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. Are you thankful for that to be your status? Okay? You should be thankful. All right? I can't hear you, so I'm hopefully you're saying amen. All right? <laughs> okay? But that's where you ought to be. Chapter 2. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also ye all had our conversation in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You were in a desperate situation, weren't you? Now look at verse 4. But God, oh man, let's be thankful. What did God do? But God, who is rich in mercy, 
for His great love wherewith He loved us. How did He love us? Even when we were dead in sins, when you were, that, you were the guy in verse 2 and 3, that's who you were. What did He do for you? He died for you, but God committed His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, we were in that Romans 1 condition. We weren't thankful. We were sitting there going, what's going on here? And trying to do it our way. And what happened? He did what? Dead in sin hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together. And made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. And his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Look at what his grace did. Look at what his rich and mercy did. Not only does he save you, not only does he keep you out of the depths of hell. He has a position for you. He has a job for you to do. He's got a thing to do. And you know what we should be? We should be thankful for that. Thanksgiving ought to just bound that heart of gratitude, that heart of grace, that heart of looking at him saying, you know what, Lord? Because you did that, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to study you. I'm going to be everything I can be. Because look at what you did for me. And that's what just... Come over to 2 Corinthians 5. That's just that little bit of difference between being thankful and being unthankful. The overhead went away. 2 Corinthians 5, look at verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Think about that. The love of Christ, what did he do? When you were children of disobedience, when you were children of wrath, what did he do? He but God who was rich in mercy. <laughs> he what? He loved you. For the love of Christ constrains you? What motivates you? What moves you? Being sick and down, I think I've watched enough soccer to last a lifetime. Okay? Now, growing up, I played soccer. I was a goalkeeper. I did it all through high school. I did it all through college. And I enjoyed the game. I enjoyed the strategy. But if I see another one, I'm like, oh, okay. You know? It's just like, okay. What happens there? You get down in it. You get bogged down in it. I had a point, and the point left. Doggone it. It was a good point, too. You know when you miss those? What does he do? The love of Christ constrains you. What motivates you? What motivates those guys to go play? 120 minutes. What, mo what, what? The love of the game. The love of nation. The love of the dollar bill, eventually. But the love of it, right? The move. What, what motivates you and I as believers? Well, keep reading, because we thus judge. We think this way. We're motivated this way. We're motivated out of love, out of gratitude, out of thanks, thankfulness. What did he say? That if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, 
but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? You ought to have written by that verse, identity. Because that's who you are. And because who you are in Christ, this new creature, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. There's the heart of gratitude, the heart. What did he do? He died for us. Verse 14, then, if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live. You see, you got two classes of people. you got dead people and live people. You got people who are in Adam dead. You got people who are now in Christ alive. And those in Christ, we know something. <coughs> Sorry. We, we have an understanding of something. And what are we to do? We're to come over here and to live. And we're to come over here and to function. And he goes back there to Genesis chapter 3, where he, in verse 15, where he talks about the seed of the woman. And he makes that declaration that God promised that one day there's going to be a, re a redeemer. There's going to be someone one day who's going to come and do for man what man could never do for himself. And you go to Philippians chapter 2 and you start reading in verse 5 and following. And let this mind come, flip over there. <clears throat> I think about this, Philippians 2 verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And that comes out of verse 3 and 4 and verse 2 and so forth, and the esteem of, of the other better. And we see the original grace thinker. And what was he? Though he was in the, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found and fashioned as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And you think about the death of the cross, and you think about what he went through. Come over to Hebrews chapter 12, quickly. <clears throat> I'm a snowball going downhill right now, so we'll be done in about 10 minutes, okay? <laughs> All right. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verse 2. Look at his thinking. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the what joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. Look at what he did. L looking unto Jesus, the author, of, who for the what? For the joy. He looked at Calvary. He came down and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And you know what he didn't do? He didn't complain. Come back with me to Luke. Luke 22. <clears throat> he didn't come down and say, woe is me. You know what he says? He says, hey, look, I know who I am. I know I'm God. I'm 100% deity. And I know I'm 100% man. And I'm sent here to do something for the Father. And I'm sent here to do the Father's will, Luke 22. And I'm going to go, and I'm going to go do it, and I'm going to do it gladly. I'm going to do it with some joy. The joy that was set before him. What did he do? He endured the cross. Despite despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What did he know? When you think about the throne of God, what do you think about? The glory of God. What did he know was coming? 
He knew that the suffering was but for the moment. He knew glory was coming. He looks over there in John and he says, Father, I want to have the glory we had back there. Let's get that love relationship back because this love relationship stinks right now. I don't want to be here. Not my will, but thy will be done. What does he know? Glory's coming. Look at Luke 22. Look at verse 19. Luke 22, 19. And he took bread and, notice, gave thanks and, what? Break it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, this do and remember. What did he do? This is the night before the cross. He's instituting this little ceremony here for them. But what does he do? He gave thanks, didn't he? Come over to Matthew 26. I just want you to see, he didn't go to Calvary grudgingly. Look at Matthew 26. Look, if you will, at verse 27. He took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to him, saying, Drink ye all of it. What did he do? He gave thanks. He goes into the, into the garden. He sits there, and he goes in, and he doesn't say, he says, Lord, if the couple, Father, if the couple pass, let it pass, but I know it won't. You're in Matthew 26. Look across at verse 53. <clears throat> if you draw back up, verse 47, and while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came with him, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priest and elders of the people. Now he that, had, now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, the same as he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master! And kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew a sword and struck a servant. That would be Peter. Then Jesus said unto Peter, unto him, that's Peter, Put up again thy sword into its place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou, now watch what he says to Peter. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? A legion is about six thousand. Twelve times six thousand is seventy-two thousand angels. One angel can kill like 180 men, 180,000 people in one night, you know, whatever it is, some outrageous number. Okay, brain's not functioning right now, so you, you start study it out. I give you the thought, you run with it. What's he doing here? Wait a second. He just prayed and gave thanks. Take of the cup and drink, it's of me. Take of the bread and eat, it's me. Do it in remembrance of me. He just gave thanks. Peter pulls it out, going to take head hunting the guy. He heals the, you know, there in John 18, he heals the guy. And then he says, don't you think I can pray? And the Father would send 12 legions of angels. But now look at the next verse. But how then shall the scripture be fulfilled? that thus it must be. What does he know? Hey, he knows that there's glory coming, and the only one to fulfill 
the needed deed and to take care of what the law required was him. So for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And the only way he could do it is with a thankful heart and with a heart of thanksgiving. Because there's no joy without thanksgiving. So when we quit being thanks, thankful, what are we going to kill? We kill our joy. Come over to 1 Timothy chapter 2. What would the adversary love for you to kill? <clears throat> your thanksgiving, your thankfulness, your joy. What's he trying to do? He's going to work the circumstances in life. It's called the course of this world. And I say that, and I'm always reminded to say to you, he's a created cherub. He isn't everywhere, but he developed the course. He developed the system. And it's being pushed, and it's being propagated by, man, by men, by the religious system. And Scripture is called Baal worship, and we see it all about us. And Paul says, you need to identify it, you need to understand it, because its design is to kill your thanksgiving. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Look, if you will, at verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will. Everybody wants to know the will of God. Here's the will of God. Who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. The due time testifier, Paul, what is he testifying? He was the ransom for all. He's the mediator between God and man. You go back to Romans chapter 1, <clears throat> chapter 2, chapter 3. You're in a courtroom scene where, where Paul is prosecuting the, the, the sinner, where God the Son and God the Father are prosecuting the sinner. And at the end of chapter 3, he says, all the world, shut up, stop, done, quiet, enough, you're guilty. And the Father says, but I'm going to take the payment required and put it on my son. And we're going to do that at Calvary. And you know what? You need to be thankful for Calvary. Because that's where he came. He was obedient. He went and did what was required. And he did it for you and I. And when he does that, we are to say, thank you. Come over to Colossians chapter 2. Well, you know what? I don't know where to go. Where should we go? Let's go to Ephesians 2. Calvary is where our thankfulness starts. My dad one time told me, he, you know, being early, young in the pastorate, I would lean on dad and say, hey, I got a problem. You know what he would always say? Welcome to the pastorate. Figure it out. And that would be it. He never gave me any help. 
He did, actually. He does, and he did. But it was always a, you need to get, here's where you need to go, and you need to figure this out. You need to grow, do, and on your own. But you know what, though? He one time told me, he said, you know, whenever there's a problem, you know where you go? You always go back to Calvary. Take it always, go back to Calvary. And you know where the unthankful heart in Romans 1 starts with the unbeliever? They've never been to Calvary. What did he do at Calvary? Well, Ephesians 1, we got a whole list of spiritual blessings. But look in chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man so making peace. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh, for through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Do you think we were at odds with somebody? Do you think there was an enmity you think there was a contention, a fight? Sure, between the circumcision and the uncircumcision. But what did Calvary do? By one, by the cross, what did it do? It broke down that wall of partition. It came in and, and took care of the enmity. Colossians chapter 2. We looked at this already, but look at it again, verse 9. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Isn't that wonderful? This is a spiritual deal, folks. This isn't something physical. Israel had a physical circumcision with hands, made by hands. Here's a circumcision made without hands, a spiritual component. And what did he do? In putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision. Isn't it wonderful to know that sin doesn't have dominion over you? You are Romans 6. You are freed from sin, and you can choose to live a life where sin doesn't run the show. But you choose that. He set you so. He declared you to be. Now you just have to learn, grow, and do what? Make the switch and say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do this instead. Keep reading. And you being dead in your sins, verse 13, and un I'm sorry, verse 12, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. Isn't it wonderful to know that we have the newness of life, that we have resurrection life? Titus says that the heir of God is receiving eternal life, resurrection life. Boy, that, what, isn't that something to be thankful for? It ought to be prominent. You know, Easter's coming in, what, in April? Uh, it's December. I'm already in 2023. You know, so everybody, the resurrection, you and I celebrate the resurrection every day, 24-7, every moment, every breath. Why? Because it's ours. Keep reading. And you being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you some of your trespasses. No, all of them. Isn't it wonderful to know that he anticipates you messing up? 
I think that's fantastic. He didn't set you so that you would never mess up again. He said it so that when you did mess up, you went right back to Calvary and said, he paid it all, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do my dead level best to learn how I got there and never repeat it again. And if I repeat it again, just know that as sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And I'm going to do my dead level best to learn what I can learn, have that sound doctrine work in my inner man so I never do it again, and I'm going to be thankful that I have the opportunity to be thankful for that I have the privilege to live the doctrine I love that he, he, he's forgiving you all trespasses he anticipates you messing up verse 14 blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us and took it out of the way nailing it to his cross isn't that wonderful to know that you can't keep the law so then what are you struggling trying to do it James says that if you offend in one, you're guilty of it all. Do you know? Oh, you got to see this. Come on. Romans 13. Come, just remind you. I'm, folks, just being thankful. Reminding ourselves. Let Colossians, look at Romans 13. Romans 13, verse 8. Oh, no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Now look at verse 10. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Do you know what is bigger and badder and better, bad in a good sense, okay, than the law? Love. Grace. The love of God. The love of Christ constrains us. Do you want to do, and Paul's telling us we don't need the law. That's what he's saying here in verse 8, 9, and 10. We've studied this first hour a couple months ago. What's, what are we doing here? The law. Man, look at what we got. We got some great stuff. Go, go back to Colossians. Colossians 3. I just was, just, you know, just sitting there trying to read between the fuzzy eyes. And think about this. Look at Colossians 3. Look at verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. Boy, the doctrine of forgiveness. Oh, man, how important is that? You know what it is to be forgiven. You understand what it is to have the have God Almighty look at you and say, I forgive you. So then what should we be able to do? The same thing. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye, what? Thankful. Here's the mindset we're to have. You know what we're to have? We're to let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Rule, reign, control, move. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. The counter verse is Ephesians 5.18, where he says, and let him be filled with the Spirit. 
being filled with the Spirit, controlled and consumed by the Spirit, is letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's letting the peace of God rule in your hearts. It's letting thanksgiving, thankfulness just abound at every turn. Because you know what the adversary wants you to do? He wants you to be unthankful. He uses his devices, his schemes, his strategies to get you to say, you know what, I'm thankful for the cross, but I think I need to help. I, I really think I ought to be in 1 John 1, 9 condition here because I've messed up. Because I want to restore fellowship back with my Father. You know you never lose fellowship with the Father. You've been blessed with all spiritual blessings. You've been accepted in the beloved. Beloved. You never lose that. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I'm in Ephesians 1, just so you know. That's... You know what? No, that's what he wants you to be. You come along and say, you know what? Hang on a minute. I'm complete in Christ. I got to go back over here. Boom. I got to I got to let the peace of God rule. I got to be thankful. Colossians 2. Look back there verse 7. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught abounding therein with thanksgiving. We don't always abound with thanksgiving. We kind of tend to bound with other things. Paul says, no, abound with thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18. Great little verse. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything, give what? Give thanks. Not for everything, but where? In everything. Come back to Ephesians 4. I got ahead of myself a little bit there. Ephesians 4. You see, folks, we're to abound in thanksgiving. We're to operate in a realm of thanksgiving. Why? Because we know something, don't we? We know that Christ died for the sinner. And I was a sinner. We know that he paid my second death. That's what I deserve. But he was rich in mercy, and in His great love wherewith He loved us. What did He do? He died for me. And I'm thankful for that. But then He also, what did He do? He gave me a life I can go live. And He set it up that I will always have victory. Romans 8, 37. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that, what? Loved us. And I can go in the middle of the moment, and in the middle of whatever's in everything, I still got to deal with it, but I can say what? Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to come over here and deal with this. I think about this past couple weeks. We would eat. We would wash the thing off, the plate off, leave it in the sink. Linda came around the corner and she said, why are you not loading the dishwasher? I said, well, I didn't even think about it because I'm not thinking. I got fog brain, brain fog. That was my excuse all week. You know, 
We're just lazy, right? But think about the wife that comes to a sink full of dishes. And rather than grumbling and mumbling, being thankful to have the what? The sink full of dishes. It's just a tweak of the, of the thinking process. Or the dad. It doesn't have to be the wife, the mom. It could be the dad, too. It's just a tweak of the, diff, of the thinking. Ephesians 4, verse 29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. You know what kills joy? And you know what kills thanksgiving? Verse 31 does. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking. You know how you fix that? Verse 31. You adjust your thinking. Be ye kind one to one be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You come over to Philippians 4. We're to have thanksgiving. What kills that is being unthankful. Philippians 4, verse number 6. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. I love that verse. A life of continuous prayer. What's 1 Thessalonians 5, 17? Pray without ceasing. So you know what that tells you? Prayer is talking to the Father all the time, 24-7. It isn't a a posture. There are times when when he says there, prayer and supplication. Supplication is a moment of a specific need where you're down on bended knees and and you've stopped and you're sitting and you're thinking and you're working it through. Prayer is a general situation where you're running down the freeway and praying that the guy don't hit you, you know, or whatever. But prayer is just simply talking to the Father. It isn't a posture. Sometimes it is and sometimes it needs to be. But what you're praying for, the Father, this is my need. This is what's going on. Paul three times prayed for that thorn in the flesh to be removed. And you know what the answer of God was? And he said unto me. Paul praying, hey, this is get, remove it, take it away from me. And you know what the this father said to him? You know what the Lord said to him? And he said unto me, the word of God to Paul in that moment was, my grace is sufficient for you, and so forth. But what does the word of God say? Here's the deal. Here's what's happening in my life, in my time. And I come with thanksgiving and gratitude and joy and peace and long suffering. And I come and I need an answer, Father. I need help. And he says, and he said unto me. Here's the verse. Why? Verse 7. And the peace of God. Wow, isn't that what we want? Not peace with God. We have that, Romans 5.1. We want the peace of God. How do I get that? I'm talking to the Father about what's going on. He's answering me through his word. As I take in his word, rightly divided, and I begin to apply to the details of my life, and I look at that and I say, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus 
our Lord. A life of continuous prayer. As we bring in the sound doctrine into the details of our lives, only then, only in that moment, in that mechanism, can that prayer be from a heart of thanksgiving. You know what an unthankful heart does? Give me, give me, give me. Help me, help me, help me. An unthankful heart is not capable of praying with thanksgiving. We have to be careful. 1 Thessalonians 5. Actually, you're in Philippians, right? Stay in chapter 4. Think about 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything. In It's giving thanks in everything that teaches us to be content. Now, we're by nature not content people. We're never content. But yet, what are we instructed to be? To be content. Contentment is a learned issue. Contentment is what leads to thanksgiving, by the way. Contentment is what leads to happiness, to joy. Look at, you're in Philippians 4. Look at verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be, what? Content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Look at what Paul learned. Paul learned, he gained some knowledge that in regardless of his situation, regardless of his circumstance, he's in prison in Philippians, when he writes Philippians. He's under stocks and bonds. He's, Epaphras is sick, nigh unto death. He's got all this going on. And you know what he says? In this situation, Lord, bail me out, man. Lord, where's the earthquake to shake and rattle and roll so I can get out of here? He never says that. Actually, the Philippian jailer, he stays in jail. Even after the doors are open. He stayed there. You see, every time Paul prays, it was never, get me out of this this situation. He says, you know what I've learned? I've learned in regardless of my situation to be content. How? Verse 12, I've been instructed. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere in all things I am instructed. Both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer needs. I've been instructed. I've been rooted and grounded and taught by Him. I've been, the Word of God, rightly divided. Think about that. Look at what Paul did there. His heart of thanksgiving is able to take the circumstances regardless of and to abound in them. He learned. By the way, keep reading. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. How does Christ strengthen you? With His Word, Ephesians 3.16. The Spirit strengthened the inner man. 
What does the Spirit work with? He works with the Word of God, working in your inner man. He strengthens you. I can do all things. Why? Because in everything I'm giving thanks. Because when the situation looks, I come over, I go, I'm going to be content. I'm instructed to do it. I can get through it, and here it is. The verse in Corinthians comes to mind. It just left the mind. <laughs> That's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> That's a frustrating thing. We're at the end here, right? 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. Why? Because it's common to man. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to, what? Bear it. Hey, the Word of God comes in, works in my inner man. I'm sitting in a situation, whatever it is. I'm sick, nigh unto death. What do I do? Go to the doctor. If I sit there and pray, Lord, heal me, and he doesn't heal me, then what's the problem? Well, you have no faith. You have this, you have that. Now we're on a roller coaster doing something that's not even biblical, scriptural anymore. No, get up, go over here, see the doctor, get some meds, do whatever you need to do, pop a few more uh, elderberry or whatever's, you know, and that's fine, whatever you do. But what do you, you don't go to God saying, God, heal me. You say what? God, give me the peace to get through this. Because it's very frustrating. Come back to Philippians 4. I, what I want you to see, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me, notwithstanding. See that notwithstanding? Paul says, you know what my circumstance is? I'm in jail here. I'm in I'm in jail. I'm having to send back a confidant to you, Epaphras, Epaphroditus, sorry. I'm, he's, in, he's, a, he's sick. I have to send him home. I'm losing a, a, a fellow laborer here. But he needs to go home. He needs to be there for you guys, for himself to get better. But notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Notice, see that? I'm in affliction here. He's not asking to be bailed out. He's learned to be what? Content. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full. He's in jail. And what does he say? I'm full. I've abounded. Man, what an attitude. What a mindset of thanksgiving. Having received of Epaphroditus the things which you, you sent from you, an odor, a sweet smell, and a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ. How did he supply all of Paul's need? He didn't rain down blessings out of heaven. He sent a gift from the Philippians. How does he supply all your need? Same way. Through the word of God, what? Working in you. Thanksgiving. 2 Timothy 2. If Satan can cause you to not be thankful, then he 
Well, forget 2 Timothy 2 because that's not the verse. If Satan can cause us to not be thankful, to not focus in on who we are in Christ, yet to be focused in on who we think we are or should be, then we become just like the heathen. We don't lose who we are in Christ. 2 Timothy 2, if you look there at verse 12, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. It's interesting. You can say, you know what, enough of this, I'm out of here, I never want to open a Bible again, I can go do this and that, but yet you're in Christ. Guess where you're going to be? <laughs> there in the end. He won't deny himself. Let's allow the heart of thanksgiving to be what carries us through every day of our lives. Because honestly, that ungrateful heart, that unthankful heart is the ultimate attack. Where we look at all that we have in Christ and we say, that's not enough. I have to do. And to say that is to say that Calvary was not enough. And yet, it was everything. Our gentleman, Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all that you've done and given to us in your Son. Even though saying thank you doesn't seem to be adequate, but yet it's what you require. And it's therefore it's what we say and what we think and how we feel and what motivates our thought process. And Lord, I just pray that as we go in the week and we think about being thankful and the thanksgiving, thankful heart that we're to have, that we would do so truly for you so that we can live that well-pleasing life for you. In your name we pray. Amen.